the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's a fact. If the riches of the wealthy were suddenly given to the average American, the rich would have most of their wealth back in no time at all. Not because they're more deserved, but because they do a great job of getting us to spend it back to them. And once in their hands, they work it to their self-interest. The host of Get Rich Slow, Jim McAleese, believes the financial decisions you make today will guide your financial destiny tomorrow. Jim teaches you to plan for the worst and then hope for the best. America is under no obligation to provide what you need. Entitlements are out. Opportunity is today's watchword. Money matters can be intimidating, but they don't have to be. So start or supercharge your wealth-building plan now with Jim McAleese. Good morning and welcome to Get Rich Slow. This is your money school for financial winners. Here we explore strategies to help you prosper. We look at the big picture and then develop plans to help guide our families to meet their financial goals. Get Rich Slow gives you solid financial strategies, strategies that will help improve your financial life. If you want the truth, not the hype, please join us for the next hour for Get Rich Slow. I'm Jim McAleese, Certified Financial Planner and President of Cornerstone Consultants Incorporated, where securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group Incorporated, which is a member of FINRA and CIVIC. Cornerstone Consultants is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group. Good morning. The weather has been great. We've enjoyed every minute of it, but things are beginning to change. Now with more rains and less sunshine. And this is the week before Thanksgiving. Will we be ready for Thanksgiving? This year is going to be kind of different. With the coronavirus restrictions and the danger of, of passing the virus to one of our loved ones at the Thanksgiving feast, this will be the year of a lot more visiting using Zoom and FaceTime and a lot less hugs and kisses. But With the advent of the vaccine, we'll all get back to normal by next year. But even with these long-distance arrangements, it'll be great to get together with the family and to catch up on what's happening and how are the kids and the grandkids doing. Hopefully, things are doing well. Even with this virus problem, we all have so much to be thankful for. In reality, we should be thankful every day for all that God has given us and our family. Each of us, in our own special way, is truly blessed. Thanksgiving is the start of the holiday season, and maybe with the smaller gatherings, I can do a better job of watching my weight so that after Thanksgiving and after the Christmas holidays, I'll at least have a fighting chance of getting back into shape by February or March or by April, whatever. (laughs) Maybe just might. 
maybe just by June. And since next weekend will be a long weekend with Thanksgiving and the weekend behind it, we're going to, well, let's find the time to review on the economy and basically how it's affecting our investment. This week, a global equity markets were mixed. Uh, on the one hand, the equity markets were reacting to the spread of the coronavirus in the United States and in uh, uh, the European Union and the UK. And on the other hand, they were reacting to the development of these effective uh, vaccines. Uh, the coronavirus, COVID-19, is putting a damper on the U.S. economy with a number of confirmed cases and deaths uh, steadily rising. Uh, with a third, according to the Wall Street Journal, with a third surge in the COVID-19 uh, pandemic hitting the United States, many health uh, care officials are warning that the coronavirus is now so widespread that it may take uh, preventive new measures to contain it. But no one is seriously talking about a national shutdown like we had in February and March. Uh, new infections surpassed 187,000 on Friday, uh, setting a daily record that eclipsed the highest uh, daily record counts of previous peaks in the spring and the summer. I remember peaks like uh, uh, 40,000 or 50,000, this idea of 187,000. I don't know where, uh, what is happening there, but hey, we've had a lot of marches, we've had a lot of uh, uh, conventions, we've had a lot of. Uh, uh, celebrations. Uh, I think we've forgotten a lot about how to uh, handle ourselves in this coronavirus. And the number of new deaths uh, numbered around 1,225 per day, according to the data compiled by John Hopkins University. I remember when we were, uh, sometime during the summer, uh, we were at 700 uh, deaths per day, and we were pushing it down uh, before the end of the summer to somewhere around 500, but now we're up to 1,225 per day. And the number of people uh, hospitalized with the COVID-19 is, is over 80,000 now, according to the COVID tracking project. All of this reinforces what we've learned at the start of this pandemic. What you have to do is remember what you learned then and get back to business. Uh, you wash your hands. You wear your face masks in stores and places like that, uh, where there's a crowd of people. Be very uh, careful in crowds. Uh, just make sure you stay out of them. Uh, keep social distancing. And uh, like I said, maybe we're maybe we're uh, beyond the point where we're going to go through all this uh, the summer of, uh, of seeing people shoulder to shoulder. Uh, without masks and without worrying about the coronavirus. People are becoming infected, not just because of the big gatherings, uh, but whenever they let their guard down, such as by not wearing a mask, by going about their daily routines in smaller uh, social settings than they thought of as safe, often among their own families and trusted friends. The number of confirmed cases is rising significantly in all but a few according to the Wall Street Journal analysis of data from the John Hopkins University. Most of the new cases are in the Midwest, which is experiencing major surge, but even states and cities that have successfully beaten, beaten the virus 
uh, down to low levels are struggling with a rising number of illnesses. So uh, what we're going to have to do is just uh, uh, relearn what we did before. And uh, uh, since we see the consequences of it uh, in terms of the new cases, the new deaths and things, new hospitalizations and things of that nature, we just have to get back to what we learned before. Be careful of the crowd, wear your mask, wash your hands, uh, the, uh, uh, disinfect just about everything that uh, is imaginable, and uh, we'll get through this. Uh, but the, uh, the other, the coronavirus, uh, COVID-19 pandemic, and news wasn't all bad. Uh, there was more good news with regard to the COVID-19 vaccines. According to uh, Bloomberg, uh, Pfizer and uh, BioNTech, they requested uh, that's, that they're coupled in one vaccine. Uh, they requested emergency authorization of their COVID vaccine yesterday. And it's going to take at least three weeks for the U.S. Food and Drug Administration uh, as uh, what they're going to do is take a look at their trial data. And it's going to be reviewed by the agency staff and also by outside advisors. Uh, the company said that after a thorough vetting of the data, it could be approved by the middle to the end of December. And I know that uh, the uh, United States government has also has ordered a hundred. What is it? A hundred million um, doses. And in this particular virus. It takes two doses. One, you get the first shot, and then 27 days later, you get another shot. So, 100 million doses is good for 50 million people. And they've also uh, have options on another 500 million uh, doses. So, the emergency authorization process, which allows drugs and vaccines uh, targeting COVID 19 to reach the Americans uh, much faster. Uh, then the uh, and through the standard approved channels, the standard approved channels would take uh, uh, six to nine uh, six to nine months rather than three weeks. Another uh, company coming along is Moderna. Uh, they've released positive in, interim results from their uh, final uh, stage trial, and it said it's close. To, they're close to seeking emergency authorizations for its uh, COVID-19 vaccine. They expect final results from their vaccine trials in about a week or two. So they're about a week or two behind the uh, Pfizer uh, BioNTech. Uh, they may take longer to get through the process with the Food and Drug Administration because they've never uh, uh, gone through that particular process. And that process requires uh, uh, visits to the, uh, uh, the manufacturing sites and things of this nature. So it might take them a little longer to get through this process than it would for Pfizer. Uh, this gives the, it will give the United States two vaccines with a reported 95% effectivity. And that could be approved by the uh, start of the year. So... With the COVID-19 pandemic threat, uh, the U.S. economy continues to recover. Uh, what we're seeing in uh, uh, the economy itself is that the construction industry, uh, residential construction for single-family homes is basically on fire. Uh, 
you're running into problems with uh, uh, there's not there's not enough experienced labor, there's not enough lots, uh, prices of lumber's of lumber have gone through the ceiling. It's hard to get uh, uh, the uh, other pieces that go into the house, the the uh, sinks and tubs and all the rest of the stuff. Uh, all those supply chains are slowed down. So uh, home construction is just going like crazy. Uh, existing home sales, uh, that continues to increase due to the low mortgage rates and the desire for homeowners to get out of the city. And also you're seeing industrial production. Industrial production uh, is also improving in October and November. So in taking a look at the industrial production, we see that, uh, you know, in February, we were at a certain level before the virus hit and we went down. And now we've been coming up for the last several months. And I think we're still about 4 or 5% below where we were in February with regards to the industrial production. And uh, the only thing, and I think probably the big, <clears throat> the key dismissing there is probably airplane production, you know, because even though the, uh, the uh, 737 MAX has been approved for flight now, uh, it's going to take a while to get it back into production and in, not into production so much as in sales because with the reduced uh, uh, travel, uh, the airplane industry, the airline industry has more airplanes than they know what to do with right now. So uh, the only thing that seems to be missing in all this uh, uh, fiscal stimulus is that uh, fiscal stimulus package that has been in negotiations since, um, I think it's since June. But there's even hope for that now. Uh, and there may be money available for the second fiscal stimulus package. If you, if you recall, the CARES Act that was signed in March, that provided approximately $2.5 trillion of fiscal stimulus. Uh, to the economy. Uh, that's that $1,200 check. That's the $600 uh, bonus on top of your state unemployment uh, benefits. That's the payroll protection plan where employers uh, uh, took out uh, loans from the Small Business Administration, and these loans were uh, extinguished if the money was used for the payroll, pay the workers, pay the utility bills and pay the rent. And uh, part of that bill was the, uh, the CARES bill was $455 billion that went to the Federal Reserve as a backup uh, for their emergency loan programs. So at that time, Congress anticipated that the Federal Reserve would be making approximately $5 trillion of loans and uh, buying bonds and taking loans for the U.S. corporations. And the $455 billion was a fund basically to cover the expected 10% loss in the $5 trillion monetary stimulus program. So the Federal Reserve uh, doesn't lose money. And in other words, in no cases, when you take a look at the whole stimulus program, there were two parts to it. One was the monetary stimulus from the Federal Reserve, and that was supposed to uh, be $5 trillion worth of uh, loans 
and buying corporate bonds and things of this nature, things that the Federal Reserve generally doesn't do. And the Federal Reserve really has a, <laughs> they have a phobia. They don't, they don't lose money under any circumstances. So as long as they're buying U.S. bonds, and as long as they're buying mortgage-backed securities that are backed by Fannie and Freddie, and since we own, the government owns Fannie and Freddie right now, uh, they consider that to be a good uh, loan because they're assured they can get their money back. This idea of loaning to corporations and buying corporate bonds, on the other hand, is something totally new. That's why they gave them the $455,000 just in case uh, these loans would uh, go bad. Uh, they were expecting a uh, uh, 10% of the loans to go sour, so uh, and they gave them that amount of money. Now, uh, <clears throat> the other part of the stimulus was they, the $2.5 trillion in fiscal stimulus, and that money uh, was not expected to be repaid. You know, the Federal Reserve money was expected to be repaid and maybe a little spoilage with that 10%. The, the fiscal stimulus money, on the other hand, that money was going out the door to consumers. And the only way the government was going to get that back would be over the next 20 years in taxes. So they were basically thinking uh, in the fiscal stimulus, there were two parts. One was just their initial $2.5 trillion, and the other one was to be followed up by another uh, fiscal stimulus, but that whole thing got bogged down, and uh, the House of Representatives comes up with a three and a half trillion uh, trillion dollar plan. The Senate comes up with a one trillion. They sat down and they negotiated, and not very well because uh, negotiations broke off uh, right around the time of the conventions, the uh, Republican and the, and the Democratic convention. And then they picked up after Congress came back in the fall, after Labor Day, but they didn't go anywhere. Uh, the closest they got was the House of Representatives said uh, $2.2 trillion, and the uh, Senate said, uh, the administration said $1.8, I think it was, or $1.9 trillion. But then uh, it just died. Well, there's a, a resurrection of that now. It involves this $455 billion. So in, in uh, March, as the, as the economy really began to freeze up, uh, the credit markets began to seize up too. And then the, the banks and the investors were hesitant to make loans and to buy corporate bonds and uh, corporate loans. So the Federal Reserve suddenly comes in with this $5 trillion with all these, they established about seven or eight new lending facilities, one for the money market, one for uh, uh, state uh, uh, municipal bonds, one for corporations, one for Main Street, and a whole bunch of other things. Uh, but in reality, what happened was that uh, even though the, the credit market was seizing up, when the Federal Reserve came on the scene, uh, it was like the cavalry coming to town with tons of money to make loans and to buy uh, corporate bonds. Suddenly, the investors and the banks realized that with the Federal Reserve 
as their guardian angel. It was safe for them to loan to businesses and loans. So when the Federal Reserve showed up, started to give out money, uh, all the rest of the investors and the, and the banks uh, started jumping in and loaning to everybody. So there really wasn't any need for this $5 trillion, even though the Federal Reserve has spent money uh, buying U.S. government bonds, it bought or it bought very little, very little. It made very little loans and bought very uh, small amounts of corporate debt. I think it was less than seventy billion. Uh, it was supposed to be five five thousand billion. But at the end of the day, there wasn't any need for this uh, five four hundred fifty-five billion dollars of backup for bad loans. So now the Secretary of the Treasury, uh, Steve Mnuchin, he requested that they uh, give the money back uh, so that they, they could use it. And according to the Wall Street Journal on Thursday, Secretary of Treasury Steve Mnuchin said that the lawmakers should redirect unspent stimulus money, including money he's pulling back from the Federal Reserve, to buoy up the economy as the U.S. waits for uh coronavirus. <clears throat> According to him, quote, I hope that Congress will seriously consider reallocating $508 billion of funds that have already been appropriated and that won't cost taxpayers an additional penny. He said that in a phone interview on Thursday. Earlier in the day, Mnuchin requested the return of unused funds from the Federal Reserve's emergency pandemic lending program. Uh, triggering a pushback from the central banks that said that the program served a vital role. And, you know, everybody agrees with that, that the, that the very fact that the Federal Reserve came on the scene like the cavalry and uh, uh, saved the day and, and got the credit markets opening again in March and April, uh, that was a done deal. But, uh, the end effect of it was that uh, uh, the Federal Reserve didn't make that many loans, and it wasn't on the hook for any uh, soured loans. So the, uh, quote, the uh, Secretary Mnuchin, uh, quote, the U.S. economy has a strong recovery, had a strong recovery after the partial shutdown this spring due to the pandemic. He noted that companies with healthy balance sheets can access money now through the private markets. Uh, he continued, but for companies that are impacted by COVID, such as travel, entertainment, restaurants, they don't need more debt. They need more per payroll protection plan money. They need more grants, he added, referring to the small business lending program. And he also suggested that the uh, funding should be used to extend uh, unemployment insurance. And I've heard in other articles, they're talking about uh, uh, adding $300 bonus to the unemployment uh, insurance, but they're going to have to be, they're going to have to get started. Congress is going to have to get serious about this fairly quickly because uh, uh, a lot of this payroll protection, not the payroll protection plan, but a lot of this uh, unemployment, the extra unemployment runs out at the end of the year. Uh, the White House, uh, as according to Wall Street, has largely largely abandoned earlier efforts to encourage lawmakers to strike a fresh stimulus plan, 
but the redirecting the unused Fed money would allow officials to target parts of the economy that are still suffering, Mnuchin said. Uh, but the move will require congressional action. He said, quote, I believe it will have a significant impact for people whose businesses have been impacted by COVID and they can uh, then get through the beginning of next year when we'll have uh, vaccines uh, broadly distributed and be fully, reco- fully recovering in the economy. So basically what you're seeing is that uh, they are going to uh, come up with a process of having at least this uh, $580 billion. They must have taken this 455 and found some money left in the, in the payroll protection plan. And so they're talking about close to $600 billion. Now, if uh, they can get back together, the last time the uh, House of Representatives and the, and the Senate got together, uh, it, they were talking uh, approximately $2, $2 trillion uh, fiscal stimulus package. But hell, if they can get together and at least agree upon a $1 trillion uh, thing with this uh, newfound money of close to $600 billion, I think that would be great. And that would certainly uh, get us into the, this next year, get the second stimulus, because that first stimulus did have a, did, did have a big impact on the economy. But the effect of the first stimulus has kind of waned. Uh, that was, uh, you, you'll be able to see that in the, in the amount of spending that uh, people are uh, spending and uh, other things. So uh, this, is, uh, this is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get This Slow. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's one 888 if you'd like to make some comments, you'd like to get involved in some discussion, it's 1-888-281-1110. Now stay tuned. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Colleen, producer of Get Rich Slow. Each week we take calls from people just like you that have questions for our host, Jim McAleese. Oftentimes, Jim can't answer the questions in depth because of time restraints or the need for more detailed information. That's why we encourage you to call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc., the financial counseling service founded by Jim and Tama McAleese. Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. has helped thousands of clients get more for their money. Whether your financial goal is to avoid common investing mistakes, buying your next home, planning for retirement, finding that right mutual fund, or covering your assets with the right kind of insurance, Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. will guide you to wise financial choices. So call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. for an appointment today at 440-647-2793. That number again, 440-647-2793. Now back to more Get Rich Slow. Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 
then they have to abide by that 10-year rule. In other words, if you just suddenly got it, let's say, February of this year, then you'd have to get rid of this account within a 10-year period. There wouldn't be any required minimum distributions. Uh, You just have to clear that account out by uh, year 10 uh, of the time that you got it. So uh, let's go back to your case again. As I'm thinking about your case, uh, make sure that you put down as your beneficiary in other words, you were the beneficiary of somebody else. That's how you got hold of this inherited IRA. Uh, make sure that you put down on your beneficiary forms who you want to get the money if you pass on. So what can happen there is, for instance, if you're 50 now, uh, let's say something happens to you at age, uh, you know, 60, 60, let's say 60. Okay. So, uh, uh, maybe your daughter or your son, you, you'd let them have the uh, inherited IRA. Now, they only have 10 years. They, 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 they fit into this new 10-year period. So if uh, you get to be 65 or 60 and then pass on, they inherited this IRA that uh, is still good that would have been good in the old days, would have been good from 60 to 86, but now uh, it's restricted to only 10 years. So you can utilize the the uh, uh, inherited IRA just the way it was done in the old days. Uh, there's no uh, 59 and a half restrictions on you. You do have certain requirements as to the... Um, Required uh, as to the required minimum distributions, but that's it. You have to pay the taxes and you take the money out. Uh, you set up a beneficiary for who, who if you pass on, and that benefit, those beneficiaries uh, have to get that money out of there within the 10 year period. Okay? Okay. Does that help you? Thank you very much. All right. Yeah, so, that helps a lot. Thanks. Okay, you have a good day and a good Thanksgiving. And this is uh, Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. This is your... Host this morning, Jim McAleese. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's one 888 You know, uh, these, these weeks before the holidays, like the week before Thanksgiving, and also the week before Christmas, things are kind of slow. Um, and uh, it gives you some time to think about your financial plan. Okay. So maybe uh, what... I'd, I'd throw out there as a, as a good planning exercise would be to uh, take this week before Thanksgiving to put together a budget and then next, you know, and then the week before uh, uh, Christmas, then start developing your financial plan. In other words, when I say 
uh, put together a budget. It's a matter of saying, okay, where am I spending the money? Uh, take a look at your checkbook, take a look at your charge cards, and say, where are the bills? Uh, what are the bills? How much do I pay for the rent or for the mortgage? How much am I paying for the taxes? How much am I paying for the groceries? Uh, how much am I paying for the uh, the uh, cable and all the rest of these stuff? So then, then I got about, let's say I got about 20 categories, which is where I'm putting my money. So then you put, you you at least know where your money's going, and you can start to get it organized in some, uh, some fashion that there is a certain section of that budget that's associated with uh, your cost of living. In other words, this is your standard of living here. And uh, maybe certain portions of it you can uh, uh, cut if you have to. So you identify those, you know, you highlight those in yellow or something. And you start to identify what you can cut back if you have to. And then you also uh, identify uh, where your savings are at in terms of uh, what you owe. Uh, it's part of your budget, too. What you owe, how much you're paying for it uh, in terms of monthly payments or what your usual charge cards are. Hopefully, you're paying the charges off every month. Uh, so you, you you start to put that together, and you start to identify your um, your uh, um, your, your uh, emergency fund. So now you've got your emergency fund, which should be about six months worth of uh, living expenses. In other words, this is the this is that part of your standard of living budget that says, "Hey, I got to I got to uh, pay the." Uh, Mortgage, and I've got to pay the the taxes, and I've got to uh, pay the food bills, and all the rest of this stuff. There's other parts that I can slide, uh, but I can't let these slide. So uh, then you say, okay, I've got uh, uh, take a look at that part, multiply it by six, and that's that's the amount of money that you should have in your emergency fund, and just. From the experience that we went through in, in March and April, in February, March, and April with this COVID, uh, that should reinforce your uh, your uh, desire or impetus to get this uh, emergency fund set aside where you can have some security. Okay, so that would be the project this week. Just sit down, uh, put together your... Uh, budget as it is now, put together your budget as you would want it to be, uh, identify all of your people that uh, charge cards and car loans and and uh, 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 mortgage money and all the rest of the stuff, mortgage money that you owe, put that, put that all together to get you and also make sure that you accommodate that emergency fund in there too. Or if you don't have it, account or a certain, take a certain portion of your budget and start allocating it to the emergency fund until you get it built up to the point where you're happy with it. I mentioned six months, but some people, uh, uh, they're not happy with uh, six months. They might go to uh, a year or something like that. Whatever makes you happy. But six months is generally a minimum. Uh, so then you got a picture of where you're at. And then... Uh, uh, think about it and 
you know, talk it up among the family until you get to a point where, let's say, uh, the week before Christmas when you have some more time, uh, it's more of a leisurely time, to uh, start to uh, allocate where your money is actually going to go. You want to pay those charge cards off, pay them off in full, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the mortgage, you have to take a look at the mortgage rates, uh, fixed 30 year mortgage rates, or, or even 15 years, or, or anything. The, the mortgage rates or interest rates are extremely cheap right now. So you might want to refinance your mortgage and get yourself started in that position. And then you start thinking about your goals and how you're going to, your goals in retirement or second home, or vacation home, or college for the kids. Uh, or if you're younger, it's the first home, and uh, starting a family and things of this nature. All these are expensive propositions, and you have to put them put pencil and paper and start figuring out how you're going to do this and how you're going to allocate the money from your paychecks to uh, uh, flow into these pots that will grow with uh, proper investments to get you to the point where uh, you can achieve your goals. So. That's a that that'd be a good project for, for this week. Just get the budget uh, squared away where you can have confidence that you know where the money's going. It might take you uh, uh, two or three tries at it. You know, the first time you might forget something. It's not unusual for me to sit down with with clients, particularly the younger clients, and uh, uh, I'll ask them to put together a budget and. Uh, They'll put together a budget, and they'll say, "Okay, how much? How much is coming in the door into the household in terms of uh, uh, paychecks and things of this nature?" And then we subtract. Okay, we've got you get paid this much. Uh, you've got so much taken out for uh, taxes and health insurance and all the rest of it. And uh, then we should be. And here's your expenses. So we should be able to subtract the two of them and say, oh, uh, well, according to this, you're, you have uh, $1,000 extra uh, each month that you have to uh, invest in or do something with. And everybody, they take a look at each other and they say, no, we don't have $1,000 a month extra. So it basically boils down to you might take two or three shots at this thing before you uh, get everything fixed so to speak, and, and have your costs in the right place and uh, have, have all the costs on the table, all the expenses on the table. So uh, it's a good project for this week, and uh, then uh, it'll lead you on to the next project, and that's uh, identifying your goals and how much your goals are going to cost, how much you have to have for retirement, how much do we need for down payment on that on the house and things of this nature, and what are we going to do about the kids' education? And then come uh, that spare time uh, before Christmas, we can start working on that, too, or maybe between Christmas and uh, New Year's. So uh, you have to start working on these things, and uh, you'll get there. This is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. You can give us a call over our toll-free number at one 888 281-1110. Stay tuned. I'll be right back.
Welcome back to Get Rich Play. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. You know, one of the things that we talked about was that, hey, this, this coronavirus is weighing us down. Uh, but if you take a look at the economy, the economy is still streaming along. Uh, if I take a look at uh, uh, the economy, seems to be in two parts. One part is exposed to the virus, and that's the restaurants and the sports events and the and the uh, uh, you know the concerts and the airlines, and the air travel and stuff like this. Uh, those parts are not going to, uh, you know, those parts are not going to get better until we get this uh, coronavirus under control. So uh, those parts of the economy are languishing, and they'll continue to languish until maybe, uh, I think I saw something from Fauci, Dr. Fauci, the other day, that he expects uh, uh, people will start to really uh, begin to move around and uh, uh, feel much more confident in the middle of next year. Let's say, uh, let's say June, July of next year. So, uh, to me, uh, those parts of the economy really won't get better until then. The rest of the economy, which is the major part of the economy, is doing great. I mean, it's not doing great. I mean, it's not setting any records, but it's getting better by the day. If I take a look at new home construction, New home construction is basically on fire. Uh, uh, it basically fully recovered from the, the COVID shutdown. Uh, it's accelerated so fast that it's basically running into operational problems like, hey, we haven't got enough experience work. Uh, uh, we're running out of lots to build on. The prices of lumber are, are skyrocketing. You know, they doubled the they doubled in the last uh, year. Uh, all sorts of problems. Supply chains. Where, where's the where's the tubs? And where's the, the sinks and all the rest of this stuff? Uh, so the monthly new construction uh, for October, uh, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, they come out with a report. And that's called uh, the monthly new construction report. And for October, uh, it shows that single-family home construction. The, the permits were up six tenths of a percent. The starts were up six point four percent, and the completions were down three point four percent versus the preceding months when the permits were up seven point eight percent. The starts were up eight point five percent. Construction was up two point one percent. So, construction is uh, uh, taking off. And if I take a look at uh, comparing this year's October to last year's October, what I'm seeing is permits for single-family homes up 21%, starts up 30%, completions down 4%. And if I take a look at it in terms of saying, okay, how about year-to-date, from January to October for 2019 to 2020, single-family homes, up 10% uh, in terms of uh, permits. Starts were up 8.6% and completions were up 1%. So the new home construction is in a world by itself in terms of uh, looking good. Let's go to the phones again. Hello, this is Jim McAleese. Can I help you? I want to wish you and the listeners a safe 
How are you, John? How are you? Oh, this is counting the blessings. The main thing is, the last minute, you know, I don't like landmines, not in a war situation. I don't think what, (laughs) the first time I can recall about the Federal Reserve is Munition or Secretary of Treasury. They're going left and right. It's sad. Small business is going to be hurt. Economy doing fine. But I think this is a, Mm -hmm. I, I don't know how much more you can politicize, politicize capitalism. I don't understand this. I'm sorry to say this, but I never had Federal Reserve going one way and Secretary of Treasury another way. You can correct me. I'm not that old. I'm only 85. <laughs> well, this is bad. Lot, Why are you dropping the Pumpler 98-yard line? Hey, well, what I'm looking at there is that... Uh, uh, the the money from the Federal Reserve. The money from the Federal Reserve. There's money there. There's even, money even there. Even the appropriated and, and, money is still sitting there. And they just basically want the money back so they can... In, the story in, you I know, hear is, there's an old saying, even if I lose, even if I use one eye, I want to make sure your two eyes are broken. So I'm going to poke at your eyes. That's what they're doing. <laughs> no, I, I look at it, I like at it, and I hear that uh, the the what Mnuchin's trying to do there is deal with uh, uh, the House of Representatives uh, Pelosi, Pelosi and uh, McConnell of the uh, Senate, and he's trying to bring in a sweetener of uh, something like five hundred and eighty billion dollars, and say, okay, we've got a good pot to start with, and you guys build this thing up, and so we can have a one trillion dollar uh, second stimulus program, and uh, I think what the part of it will be the uh, payroll protection plan. Where again, a lot of my clients, uh, my business clients, they use they used it to, to uh, keep their businesses alive, and it was the greatest thing since sliced bread uh, because it helped them uh, keep their people uh, employed. Uh, so that when the coronavirus, you know, when it came down in the summertime, they were ready to go back into business. Other businesses, I'm an eternal optimist. Last financial crisis. This time we have done a better job than the last financial crisis, and Mnuchin stepped to the plate. It's sad what they're doing in the last minute. Well, that's not Mnuchin's fault. I understand. uh, I mean, somebody has to put a face on the problem. (laughs) <laughs> See, after all, we are talking points on the air, you know. We are the biggest polluters, including you and me. <laughs> well, Keep up the good work. God bless you. All right. Hey, it's good talking to you, John. You have a good Thanksgiving. Thank you. Enjoy with your family. You take care now. This is Jim Magley. You're listening to Get Rich Flow. Uh, stay tuned. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Rich Flow. This is your your uh, financial advisor this morning, and really, uh, we talked about uh, uh, new home construction uh, last uh, couple weeks ago. We talked about uh, uh, new home sales, and basically, what we saw in 
new home sales a, a while ago was that the uh, uh, new home sales were in September were up 32% above uh, September a year ago. Uh, the uh, home prices, the median home prices are up to uh, single-family homes are up to $326,000. And uh, uh, there was a basically a, a, a three-month supply of uh, homes. Now let's talk about, and these are, as I was just talking about, were brand new homes. Let's talk about existing home, home sales. And uh, while new home construction is on fire, existing home constructions, according to the National Association of Realtors, they said existing home sales jumped 4.3% to 685 million homes that were sold in October. According to the National Association of Realtors, existing home sales continued to trend upward in October, marking five consecutive months of uh, month-over-month gains. All four major regions reported both month-over-month gains as well as year-over-year gains. And uh, total existing home sales, uh, which are completed transactions that include single-family townhouses, condominiums, increased 4.3% to a, uh, uh, an annual rate of $6.8 million in October. And that's up 26.6% from a year ago. So home sales are up 26%. National Association of Realtors, uh, Chief Economist Lawrence Young says, quote, considering that we remain in a period of stubbornly high unemployment relative to pre-pandemic levels, the housing sector has performed remarkably well this year. <laughs> that's an understatement I've ever heard He continued. The surge in sales in recent months has now offset the spring market losses uh, with news that a uh, COVID-19 vaccine will soon be available and mortgage rates projected to hover around 3% in 2021. I expect the market's growth to continue into 2021. Uh, he forecasts existing home sales to rise by 10% in uh, 2021. The demand is driving the prices. Mm -hmm. And and so what we're seeing now is uh, uh, median home prices uh, or sales in last month were $313,000. And and that was up 15.5% from October a year ago. So uh, the economy, the part of the economy that isn't directly exposed to the COVID is making a big strides. So, so uh, one, one thing we're seeing is that uh, the important thing is to, to realize that uh, the COVID uh, is something that we can protect ourselves against if we really get serious about it. you serious about it, with regard to disinfectants, get serious about it with regard to uh, washing the hands and, and being careful and, and uh, um, being especially, uh, you know, in tune to everything that's going around us. We can get through this. We've gotten through a lot more than this, a lot worse than this. So this is, this is Jim McAleese. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. 
good with snow. Each year, I'm totally amazed at what a Thanksgiving dinner for an extended family involves. Hosting the Thanksgiving dinner is always a labor of love because there are so many things that have to come together at the same time. It is like a theatrical production, but the lady of the house generally becomes an expert in orchestrating the production. And they do make it look easy. This is the story of all the things that go into the Thanksgiving celebration, as the hostess would describe it. In the big picture, Thanksgiving is about more than a dinner. When we think about Thanksgiving, we think about the tea for the trust the pilgrims had so many years ago. The eighth in Thanksgiving is for the harvest the settlers learned to grow. The A in Thanksgiving is for America and the land in which we live. The N is for nature and beauty which she gives. The K is for kindness and gentle words and thoughtful deeds. The S is for smiles, the sunshine everyone needs. The G is for gratitude, our blessings big and small. And the I is for ideas and letting wisdom grow tall. The V is for voices, singing and laughing and always caring. The I is for the Indians who taught them about sharing. And the N is for neighbors across the street and across the sea. The G is for giving of yourself. So this week, let's keep thinking and being thankful for all of our blessings. And until we meet again next week for more of Get Rich Slow, may God protect you and keep you safe. You have been listening to Get Rich Slow with host Jim McAleese. For an outline and registration form regarding the Money School series, call 440-647-2793. For a complete list of books written by Tama McAleese, call 440-647-2793. Or to make an appointment with Jim regarding your own personal financial issues, call 440-647-2793. Jim will be back with Get Rich Slow next Saturday morning on 1420 WHK with more common sense finance strategies for financial winners. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group, Inc., a member of FINRA and SIPC. Cornerstones Consultant, Inc. is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group, Inc.